The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen, church. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians. Oh, all right. Book of Philippians, chapter number 3. While you're turning there, I just want to give one more plug for the uh, Connections Dinner on the 20th for those uh, ladies that we'll be ministering to. And then I, I really want to commend to you to contact the church office through phone call or email. Let us put you in contact. There are some people in our community that we want to minister to that need some love and some care. And uh, you're, you're going to eat dinner. And it wouldn't hurt you at all to have somebody in your house and I might make you actually clean the house a little bit more that week or something. It'd be a great way to minister to people right here in the community. Philippians chapter number 3. We're going to finish this uh, chapter today. And then you'll see we're right there heading into chapter number 4. And so uh, next week we'll get 4 uh, verse 2 down through verse number 9. Then on the 20th I'll preach a message on uh, for Thanksgiving. Then when we come back the following week we will end this book. And we'll head into our time Christmas. So let's read uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse number 12, down through chapter 4, verse number 1. Yes, I know there's a chapter division there. Those chapter divisions were added later. Verse 1 goes with the end of chapter number 3. So let's begin reading. You read silently, put your eyes on your Bible as I read aloud for us. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if anything, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble estate into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He is even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Father, we come to You now and we thank You for our beautiful Lord's Day, for our time during Sunday school to fellowship and to study deeply. 
We thank you for the great opportunity we have to give, to fellowship here, to pray, and Lord, to uh, sing and then to open up your word and to read it and to study it. We pray that you would conform us to the image of Jesus Christ today, that you would help us to leave here uh, being more like you, that we might influence our community and the world abroad for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. You know, um, I'm just going to share us a word of personal testimony as uh, family in here with you today. Um, I've had uh, type 2 diabetes for, uh, I don't know, for some time, long, pretty good while. And, you know, type 2 diabetes is a terrible thing to have when you love chocolate ice cream and chocolate cake. You know what I'm saying? Can I get an amen somewhere? Amen. Right? Fried chicken, mashed potatoes, right up my alley. And, uh, you know, I've dabbled with it, and sometimes I get on a kick, and then sometimes I'm off of it. And, you know, you do the same training with uh, exercise and all that kind of thing. You have your New Year's resolution, you start out good, and, and then you, you know, fail around April, May. Uh, a few months ago, I went to the doctor, and uh, more of my A1C was pretty much out of control. And for those of you that don't know what that is, it's uh, when you eat too much sugar, and then you go into a coma, all right? And mine was, mine was just not good at all. And uh, I'm sitting in there in the doctor, and of course I got my head hung. I'm like, you know, you, sometimes you say to me, Pastor, you stepped all over my toes with the sermon today. Well, I'm sitting there in his office, and he's my pastor, and, and I'm like, oh man, I know I've done wrong. And I'm expecting and listening to Dr. Cephalou that he's going to have these mighty words of wisdom. He's going to tell me something that I've never heard before, some new way, some innovative way to get rid of type 2 diabetes. And wouldn't you know it, as I'm waiting there with bated breath, for him to tell me what to do. And he says, you know what, Steve? What you've really got to do is exercise, eat right, and take your medicine on time. Now, go out there and pay the lady at the counter. That's pretty simple advice, don't you think? I was waiting for something special. I was looking for something beyond and over the top and some new system for me to try. But really, the, 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 the advice was very much simple for the problem I have in my life, and that is to eat better, to exercise, and to actually take my medicine when I'm supposed to. And so, I give you an update. I'm trying the best I can to eat a little better, exercise some, and take my medicine on time. When we come to the text that's in front of us last week, we talked all about uh, what the Apostle Paul was telling us uh, should be in our lives. And the end goal is that we might know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus. And he paints this beautiful picture of what Christianity ultimately looks like. And in this sermon, he comes back, and as you can follow along in your bulletin, it is this sacred simplicity. It is the most basic of plans. And really, the driving force of this whole text today is it is a simple way to strive toward Christian maturity in our lives. We want the Apostle Paul to tell us some extra trick. He want, we want the Apostle Paul to give us a Bible code or something to figure out and to do. And he doesn't say any of that. He just comes back on top and he says, listen, I'm going to give you just a few things to help you understand how to mature in the Christian life. And so let's just discuss them this morning. First of all, from verse 12 and verse 14, verse 12 through verse 14. Here's the first one. Focus on one thing. Focus 
on one thing. I can't hardly say that. I was putting that together the whole week in the sermon prep and I'm right. And every time I say focus on one thing, I might be dating myself. But any of you, any of you ever watched the movie City Slickers? Right? And the city slickers is out there in the wilderness and there's the old guy that rides the horse and, and he keeps telling the guy from the city the whole time, you got to learn what one thing is. One, and the whole time, Billy Crystal's like, what's the one thing? You get to the end of the movie and you've got to discover your own one thing to pursue in life. Well, aren't you glad that the Christian life doesn't leave you up to your own to discover what one thing to pursue? No, the Bible and the Apostle Paul tell us in this passage, focus on one thing, and that is to press on into Christian maturity, to seek to be like Jesus Christ in every facet of your life. First of all, let's look here at verse number 12. He says, not that I have already obtained or have already become perfect, when he says the word perfect here, it's the same word. It's uh, the telestos. It's when Jesus is on the cross and he cries out, it is finished. It is the total end game. And the apostle Paul says, look, I'm not complete yet. I'm not perfect yet. I haven't reached the, the, the end game. I'm not totally, totally mature in Christ yet. And can I pause for a moment and say, if we're going to focus on Christian maturity, we've got to come to the place in our life where we have a little bit of humble pie. And we say to our own selves and our own lives that we have not attained yet. We have not become totally perfect. We are not in glory yet. And I want to say something to you. If you cannot look yourself in the mirror and say, I need help, then you're not maturing in Christ's likeness. You gotta be the kind of person that says, look, I have not reached exactly where I want to be yet. There's still heights for me to climb. There's still depths for me to reach. There is still things for me to do in the Christian life. And first and foremost, I must be a humble person before the Lord if I'm going to focus on serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I had a teacher, I told you before, I had a teacher when I was in college, and he used to tell us all the time, all the preachers in that room, he'd say, Steve, never believe your own press clippings. Wouldn't it do us good if all of us just stopped believing all of the press about us? I told a group this week on Sunday mornings, you guys are so gracious and kind. We, I, I, Connie and I, we just love ministering here. On Sunday mornings, sometimes we'll be standing out there and you say the most kind and gracious and wonderful things. And uh, sometimes I just kind of have to look down. It's embarrassing. Y'all are so kind. But I want you to know that every time you're talking to me, I'm listening to you. I'm showing genuine appreciation for what you're saying. But inside of my heart, I know who I am. And I know that I'm not perfect. And I know that I put my pants on the same way every other person does in this world. And my feet are made of clay just like yours. And I sin and I fall short of the glory of God just like you do. And I want to say to us in here as a group, as a church family, we must be the kind of people that are willing to say, Lord, I have not obtained. I have not reached perfection. I had a fellow tell me years and years ago, he said, you know what? I haven't sinned in 20 years. Honest to goodness. Of course, y'all would never believe this about me, but I can be a little snarky at times. Why, why y'all laugh? I was just, I tried to show grace. I said, well, you just did now. He lied, right? He lied. Come on! We're all a bunch of evil people that need Jesus. And if you don't think you're bad, just 
Come on, get over yourself. You haven't attained. You're not there yet. You're not totally perfect. And if we want to focus on following Christ in our life, we've got to be the kind of people that are able to say that we don't believe our own press clippings. We haven't made it all the way. Not only that, but we must live from the right perspective, the right frame of mind. Look down here, if you would, at verse, uh, verse number 12 again. He says, but I press on. That's what it is. I press on. Notice the repeating phrase there in verse 12, 13, and 14. I press on. And why does he press on? So that I may lay hold. Watch the right frame of mind. That I may lay hold. That I may grasp of that for which I am already been laid hold of by Jesus. Brothers and sisters, here's a little time out and a little moment to preach the gospel to you. Living the Christian life is, we don't live and work and put effort into our Christian life so that we obtain the grace of God, so that we obtain the favor of God, so that somehow God looks more favorably upon us because we are earning the favor of God. No, we strive out of gratitude because Jesus has already grabbed hold of our own souls. By His cross and His resurrection, all of my sin and all of my shame lie in the grave and in the depths of hell and they were paid for on the cross by Jesus and therefore I live for Him. Amen? Don't fall prey to that false theology that somehow you can earn God's favor. If I'm just good enough and I do enough and I be enough, you can work all of your life under that crushing burden and die and go out into a Christless eternity. Or you can have the right frame of mind and say, I'm pressing on. I'm pushing forward. I'm laying hold of Christian maturity. Why? Because standing underneath of me and standing behind me is what Jesus has already done for me. And if you're in here today, and maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you've been trying to be good enough and live good enough, boy, it sure hurts, doesn't it? And if you're honest on the inside, no matter how old you are, no matter how much money and no matter where you come from, and no matter how much you think that you're doing it pretty good, deep in the recesses of your heart, you know that you sin. You know that you're not good enough to be in the presence of God. Don't you? We all know that. But we hide it. We cover it up. We tell ourselves in our own pride that we're better than we really are. Hey, I want to tell you something. Jesus went to the cross and died for your sins. And He rose again. And you know what you have to do to be a believer? You want to know what you need to do? You just simply have to give up trying to do it on your own and come to Jesus and say, please save me. I'm making a ruin of my life. Please, Lord, have mercy upon me. And Jesus will lay hold on your life and He will save you and He will change you from the inside out. And then you can go about your life living and pursuing and pressing on toward Christian maturity out of gratitude and not simply out of trying to earn the favor of a God who you can never possibly earn on your own. Look back down at the text, if you will. If we're going to focus on this one thing, the Apostle Paul says here that your past is not your master. Christ is. Look what it says in verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, 
But one thing I do. Now look, he's going to get to verse 14 is where the one thing is, right? He presses on. But verse 14, or verse 13, he gives you these, these two caveats. He says, I, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies or what is behind and reaching to what lies ahead. The Apostle Paul says, I forget those things that are in the past. And I just want to say, on behalf of the Lord Jesus and the Scripture, I want to give you all permission today who are believers in this room and the hounds of the guilt of hell of things you have done and places you've been and things you have said, all of your past, you are free. Because Jesus has paid for the sins and the guilt of all of that. You do not have to be in bondage to your past life. You are free from that in the name of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is not saying this is psychological amnesia. He is saying it is the ability not to have your future ruled by your past. I want to turn that coin over and I want to say this. I was driving with my wife, uh, I think yesterday or the day before, and she helped me see this passage in its proper context even a little bit better. What I just told you is absolutely right. You are free from your past and all of the things that trail you, and you do not have to live on that way because Christ has died for it. But in the context of this passage, what are the things in His past that He's saying, I'm forgetting? Do you remember last week? I was born a Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, from the tribe of Benjamin, and He lived off all of the great things and accomplishments of his life. That's what he says, I forget. So if you're encouraged by not having the guilt and shame of your past, feel free that Jesus has paid for that and it doesn't rule your future. But I also want all of us in here to know that God is not so impressed with all of the things that you have accomplished in the past. He is impressed that right where you are in your life, you're dedicating every single day to pursuing after further Christian maturity. Don't rest on what you did when you were 15 and 30 and 50. Keep on going until Jesus comes. Sometimes in church life, there be people say, well, I, they, they sit back and listen, man, I wish you could see. I, I got, we have people sometimes, they just uh, cross their arms, they look to see who's here, they let it pass by, they let it pass by, they critique where they want to critique, and if they like something, they use Christianity and the church as a buffet line, and I'm telling you, it doesn't work that way. When you get to heaven, God is not going to sit there and say, what did you do 50 years ago? He wants to know on the day that you died, were you loving Jesus? Don't watch the parade go by. Forget those things in a gospel kind of way, in a good kind of way. Not that we don't remember what we've done, but that we say, you know what, I'm not going to trust all of that. I'm going to live for Jesus today. And what's he say? Forgetting what, what lies behind, but not just leaving it there. I press on. I reach forward. It's a racing term. Right? He's reaching out. He's stretching across the line. And I don't know this past week if you watched the Game 7 of the World Series where the Indians and the Cubs were playing and they come around the bases and they're running home as hard as they can possibly go. That's what the Apostle Paul in his mind has, that you're running with everything that you have after Christ, after Christian maturity. That's what we're supposed to do. We focus on one thing by giving it all that we have. Henry Moore was a famous sculptor. 
And uh, when he was 85 years old, I thought this was interesting. When he was 85 years old, somebody came to him and said, Henry, what is the secret of life? You've lived all these 85 years. You, you are wildly successful in all of your sculpting business. What is the secret of life? And uh, Henry Moore, he said this. He said, listen, here's the secret of life. Find one thing to pursue after with all of your heart that consumes your whole life. But here's the trick, that it is impossible to attain. And our Christianity and our Christian maturity will not be complete until Jesus comes again or until we go to be with Him. Are you pursuing after Christ with every bit of your heart? Let me give you just before we move on, just a couple of things, maybe some application to help you. Number one, I would say this. Consider writing a personal or a family mission statement. Right? If you want to focus on one thing, Christian maturity in your life, maybe just take a few minutes one day and write down some personal goals, some personal spiritual goals. Make a family mission statement or a personal in your individual. I have my, my own, in my own life and, uh, and, uh, and I work toward that and I write it down and I pray through it every single day of my life. I write it down in my journal. This is what I want to be. And Lord, I'm begging you and pleading you to form me and fashion me into this. Bring people into my life. Uh, bring all of the things in my life that I need to be just like this. Lord, please help me. Do you write down personal spiritual goals in your life? I heard somebody say two weeks ago, they say only 5% of the world ever write down their goals on paper and the rest of the world work for them. Right here, no show of hands. Honestly, right now in your mind, how many of you in here, just in your mind, you've sat down maybe with a cup of coffee on a nice fall day and took about 30, 40 minutes to just pray and read, and then sat there and said, Lord, best I know how, here's what I believe the Bible teaches that I should be with my life. Not in uh, vague generalities, but this and this and this and this. You know why you don't write it down? Because if you write it down, you can fail at it. If you keep it in your mind, you can always push it off. Just feel the need to say this maybe to our whole congregation here. To my brothers and sisters that are 13 and 15 and 18 and 22 and 25, don't meander through life. Now look, if you're 13, just enjoy life and play some video games, alright? But listen, in all seriousness, don't meander through life. Don't lollygag around. You don't have to be an A-type personality to do what I'm talking about. You can just sit down together in the back of your Bible or on a scrap piece of paper or in a journal and just pray for a moment and say, Lord, what do you want me to be? And put it down in front of you. And then ask yourself this question, why am I not already what that is? Did you get that? Why am I not already what those goals are? You might have some places to work on in your life. Pursue one thing. Christian maturity. Here's a second one, uh, maybe a point application. 
I would say that God's plan is bigger than our plan. And so when you're trying to make smaller decisions in your life, analyze the smaller decisions from the standpoint of God's bigger plan for the world, for the church, and for your life. When you start to see things from God's perspective, it'll keep you from being selfish. It'll keep you from being myopic. It'll keep you from just making things the, your way all the time. But you'll see things from a bigger perspective. It's, it's like when you put together a puzzle. You know, nobody in here dumps a thousand-piece puzzle on the ground and just goes away and starts to put it together. What's the first thing you do? Look at the box. Right? Am I the only one that does that? You don't look at the box when you put a puzzle together? Of course you do. How would you know what you were putting together? You might be putting a dolphin together and it's really New York City. Don't just start putting the puzzle pieces together. Look at God's plan for your life in the Scripture. Well, number two, from verse 15 to 16, here's the second simple formula. Fight for unity. I will point out to you that in verse 12 to uh, verse number 14, Paul uses the uh, first person singular pronoun, I and myself, often. He changes that to the third person pronoun for us and we in verse 15 and 16. And the reason why here is he is shifting from the example of his own life to the example of the church and what we should do as a body of believers. And so I would say that he's saying in this passage, fight for unity. Look what he says, verse 15. Let us therefore, as many are perfect. Now, you might have a, a dot that, that in your Bible. You say, what are we saying? It says, as many are perfect. But back in verse number 12, it says, not that I have already obtained or am already become perfect. What's the difference there? Well, it's two different words. In verse number 12, it is the word for the completed goal, something that is completely finished, i.e. when Jesus says, it is finished, it's everything done. In verse number 15, the word for perfect is maturity, coming to completion. It is growth. It is, uh, it's like plant life, that it's not what it used to be, but it's that caterpillar, so to speak, that is metamorphosed into something different. And so we are maturing. And so in verse 15, he says, let us therefore as many as are maturing. He says here, um, have this attitude. What attitude? The uh, attitude of verse 12, 13, and 14. To press on toward Christian maturity. And then notice what he says here. And if anything, if in anything, you, that's a collective, right? It's plural. You as a body of believers have a different attitude. God will reveal that also to you. However, let us, you notice the repetition there, beginning of verse 15, beginning of verse 16, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained in the same Christian maturity that you already have. Continue to live that way. Let me quickly just point out three things here. When we fight for unity, we must have a collective attitude to pursue Jesus Christ. The domineering theme and culture of our church must always be to proclaim the gospel and reflect the kingdom. To pursue after Jesus Christ every day of our life, in our personal life, and in our collective life. And when we do that as a team, when we do that as a church, everything else falls by the wayside and we become unified about this one particular theme of Jesus. Number two, I would say to fight for unity, be open to God's changing your mind and heart. What does it say there? And if any of you in the church 
have a different attitude, a different perspective on this. You're not pursuing after Christian maturity. God will reveal that to them. I find in church life that everybody loves the Bible until it says something for you to change. And guess what? I'm the same way. I love the Bible until it says for me to change something. And you know what we do? We're quick to jump on everybody else's back. We're quick to tell everybody what we think they ought to do. But what does this say? If people in the church have that different attitude, they don't have that same perspective of pursuing Christ, hey, listen, God's going to reveal that to them. What does it say for you to do? Be consistent. Keep living by the same standard of Christian maturity that you have already brought yourself to through the Holy Spirit. Keep living consistently in the Christian life. Hey, let me just pause for just a moment. <laughs> Gary Smalley said this, and I think he's on to something. Life is relationships and the rest is details. The, the, the most important issues of our life are also the hardest ones. Isn't that right? It's relationships. It's with your spouse. It's with your children. It's with your parents. It's with your friends. It's with your coworkers. Life is all about relationships. And do you notice that it is very, very, very difficult to maintain unity in relationships? Just look at the world around you and, and think about it like this. All of the movie stars and pop stars and everybody you see, what is it? They can do everything in the world but stay married. You ever notice that? Why do you think that is? Why do you think that Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt can have all of the money and, and all of the power and all of the notoriety, everybody looking to them, and they cannot make it last? I noticed that in late September... In that great wax museum in London, they took Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt's wax figures that were together and separated them. Nothing can maintain and preserve unity but Christ. And if we're going to fight for it, we've got to have to fight to have the right attitude before the Lord every day of our life. Well, let me move quickly for you. Look down at verse 17 to 21. Let me give you a third simple pattern here. Follow the right pattern. Follow the right pattern. Look what he says. You can see how simple that is. I, I just pull it out for you. He says, brethren, verse 17, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have seen in us. You see what he's saying? Other believers that we ought to develop a culture of discipleship and training, mentoring in our church, that we are learning from each other how to follow Christ Jesus. There ought to be a culture of discipleship in what we do. And then look, he gives you the bad example and the good example. He says here, For many walk whom I've told you often, and now I even tell you with weeping that they are the enemy of the cross. They are the enemy of the cross whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, they glory in their shame, and their minds are on earthly things. But now look at the contrast with verse number 20 and verse 21. In verse 19 it says that these people have their minds on earthly things. What does verse number 20 say? For our citizenship is where? In heaven. Not on earthly things. And then he says, from which also we have eagerly wait for what? A Savior. Did you notice in the previous verse? These people are the enemy of the cross of Christ. But those who are really in discipleship and following Jesus, they glory in the cross. 
In fact, I would say to us today that the right pattern of discipleship is the way of the cross of Jesus Christ. Let me make a couple of points here. I want to say that when I say discipleship, some of you get all freaked out like you could never disciple anybody or that you've got to be perfect. Listen, that's, that's, not, that's not what discipleship is. Discipleship is just being maybe one step ahead of somebody and you reach back and you help them to get to where you are. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to know everything in the Bible. You simply have to be pursuing Jesus with all of your heart. You have to glory in the cross of Christ and you have to reach out and say to somebody, follow me as I'm following Christ. Let's do a little practice here. I'll close the sermon with this. I won't keep going. You remember the first point I made and I said that we need to be humble as well? I want you to look at your neighbor. I want everybody to look at your neighbor right now and I want you to say this. I am not always 100% right. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Some of, you, some of you might be saying that like three or four times. <laughs> now, now, I'm not going to actually ask you to literally, and that is the appropriate use of that word, to literally do this. But I want to ask you, how comfortable would you feel if I said, I want you to look to your neighbor now and tell them, follow me because I'm following Jesus. Would you feel comfortable saying to the person that's beside you? I can see wives saying, or husbands saying, no, I wouldn't be comfortable saying that. I like to pick on the husband some. How comfortable do you feel saying that to somebody? Now here's another question. What's going on in your life that prevents you from being obedient to that kind of command? The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Why is that so hard for us? I think that's a question worth analyzing and thinking about this week and meditating on and saying, Lord... What's going on in my life that I'm not prepared, humble? I don't get it right 100% of the time. Saying that to somebody, I don't get it right 100% of the time. But in the same breath, coming back and saying, I don't get it right 100% of the time, but I'm giving everything that I have to follow Jesus. Come follow me. Let me help you. Come eat with me. Come pray with me. Come, come talk with me. Come serve with me. Come evangelize with me. Come live for Jesus with me. Watch my life. And in as much as I am following Jesus, you do the same. I was reading this past week about this little caterpillar called the processionary caterpillar. And uh, pretty neat little things. Uh, these little caterpillars called processionary caterpillars, and you can put a bunch of them on the ground, and in just a moment, they get single file, and they follow, they touch each other, and they follow the leader. That's all the processionary caterpillars, and they've got all these little hairs all over them. 
And uh, so scientists were trying to figure out why do these particular caterpillars get in a line and follow each other? And they noticed that they, they tried to shave the hair off of these caterpillars. And when they took the hair, they shaved the hair off, they put them down on the ground, all of the caterpillars went in different directions. You know why? Because the way that they follow each other is they take those little hairs and they get close to each other and they touch them. And as soon as they touch them, they're locked in and off they go. Now, I'm not saying that you got to get close enough that your hairs are touching on each other. Because that would just be flat, awkward, and weird. But I think you understand the point that I'm making. If you're going to disciple and mentor and train people, you got to get close with them. You got to know what's going on in their life. You got to pray for them, talk to them, eat with them, have them in your home. You got to be willing to do that. Parents have to do that with children. Children must do that with friends and parents. And we must do that as a church body with our small groups, with our Sunday school classes here in this fellowship. Hey, listen. Some of you, of course, I'm preaching to the choir today, but sometimes people in church life, you know, they're here a week and gone three weeks and here a week and about gone two weeks and they're disconnected. You got to live with these people. You got to be invested. Hey, I went to the doctor and he gave me some simple advice eat better, exercise, take your medicine. Maybe this morning we're all come to Dr. Paul. Right? And he represents the great physician who is Jesus Christ. And he gives us this simple formula. Focus on one thing. Follow after Jesus with all of your heart. Fight for unity in the church. Are we, are, are we doing that? Are we fighting for unity? Are we following the pattern of other believers? Verse number 1 of chapter 4 just simply says, finish the course. Finish the course. Be diligent. Don't give up. Stay at it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? Our heads bowed and eyes are closed. Just a moment. We're going to stand and sing just a little bit together. Hey, nobody looking around. Right, right where you are. Maybe this would be, maybe this would be a time all week. You need just a quiet moment to pray. Maybe one of those simple formulas. Maybe one of those simple things you say, man, that's, that's not going on in my life. Here's an area where I need, that needs to be better. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. This would be the perfect opportunity for you to talk with Him and give your life over to Him right now. Right now. So I say, I say Steve, I don't even know how to pray. I'm not good at all of that. If, if God is moving on your heart right now, stop fighting Him. Ask Him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Come and let us know. We will help you. Would you stand with us? Let's sing together. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.